Live from Gutter Cat Studios in the Metaverse, it's time for another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. And now here's your host, Crazy Carl. Hey yo, wow, this space is already hopping. It's going to be a great show. If you're listening to the podcast world, hello from all around the world and welcome to the Crazy About Crypto show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today's guest has been on my bucket list of people to interview since this show first started three months ago. He was the inspiration behind the brand of Crazy Carl. As an early believer in crypto and NFTs, he has let his actions in the space speak for themselves and has become one of the most respected anonymous profiles in the space. When you hear 4156, you immediately think about the OG ape crypto punk that is inspiring others in the space to build and find their place. He also happens to be one of the co-founders behind Nouns DAO, which launched early last month and is changing the landscape for what's possible with NFT governance, and it's safe to say he's just getting started. It's my absolute honor to share the stage today with the legendary collector, investor, and builder, Punk4156. What's going on, man? Hey, hey. Thank you very much for that. Very, very, very kind introduction. Of course. I mean, you really have uh, been changing the space and it, since you've kind of, um, you're just such an advocate for what is potential and, and the disruptive technology of blockchain and what it can do um, for society and for humanity. And I think it's really powerful and I'm glad you're here. So just to start, we always start with the same question on the show, which is just to give us kind of a little two-minute uh, background about your journey into crypto and then kind of how that parlayed into your journey into NFTs. Yeah, sure, sure thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had been kind of uh, personally very interested in financial speculation um, since graduating uh, from school, uh, you know, early, early 2000s. Um, and then uh, went to work in tech and had been kind of uh, Work, working full-time in tech and then speculating personally and trying to learn as much about fi- financial markets as I could on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was probably like circa 2013. Um, a friend mentioned something about Bitcoin mining and I said, Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to go, go home and read about it. Um, and just, you know, read through the Bitcoin white paper a few times. Um, and I, you know, I think at, at the time it was such a novel idea. It was kind of difficult to get your head around, but I remember very distinctly having having this moment where you know I, I kind of read through it again and, and it all just clicked and I, I literally just stood up out of my chair and, and said like oh my gosh you know this is going to completely change the world mm-hmm. it was like this really distinctive moment where where my mind was blown uh, and then after that I just started uh, looking for ways to to buy bitcoins which you know back then it was was not entirely straightforward um, and then of course you know what, as has tended to happen in the history of the space uh, one of the bitcoin bubbles happened. And I was like, okay, great. You know, I've got enough kind of a cushion here to to leave my my job and just like go start building in this space full time. Um, and and over time, just kind of came to the conclusion that that you know this is what I was going to dedicate the rest of my career to. Um, I would say I went even deeper down the rabbit hole, circa 2015, I guess, once I started thinking about Ethereum mm. uh, and and just the mind blowing potential of of tokenization. Um, I think 
that just for whatever reason really really clicked for me very early on you know back in 2015 i was i was thinking about like a lot of the the stuff that even seems novel now i guess you know like the the idea that uh the token was was like the 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 new http packet that you know we we there may not even necessarily be a dominant currency that there would just be you know hundreds and thousands of tokens that that would be used in a in this very fluid manner tokens wrapping other tokens um, you know, tokens representing kind of arbitrary objects in the world, uh, all, all that sort of stuff really kind of blew my mind. And then uh, I started try trying to build things on Ethereum. Um, you know, I, I think at the time, the, the, the language of, of all of this stuff was so steeped in finance. Um, and, and so for the longest time, everyone just always assumed, you know, you never even really questioned that finance would be the thing that, that kind of took crypto mainstream. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it was, it was only fairly recently, I would say like in, in the last year, you know, in spite of kind of claiming some crypto punks and, and, you know, kind of having that understanding that NFTs existed, but, but really only in the last year where I was really, really kind of acquired a lot of conviction that, that it would be, uh, that it would be culture and art and, and NFTs that would, that would finally take crypto mainstream much more so than finance. Um, and, and then started just kind of diving into this space. I love it. I mean, thanks for sharing that story to just kind of your whole, I mean, you are truly an OG with getting in that early. I, I, um, it's funny because I, I was a gold, I was a gold and silver, um, evangelist, you know, like, uh, like hard money. And I had looked it, back in 2012 and 13, I had looked into crypto. I even, I even tried to set up a crypto, uh, Bitcoin wallet at the time, but I'm not tech savvy. And so I, it was hard for me when I looked at kind of the, uh, the market cap and trying to, trying to visualize, I, I, don't I didn't understand you know the the tech verbiage of the the white paper, but I understand and understood uh, the potential for for smarter money to come into play. And so it wasn't until like 2017, 18 when it for, finally clicked to me that this is never going away, and I started to transition uh, over. But I'm curious, back in those early days, like in 2012, 13. Um, when we had such, when the adoption was still really, really small, uh, and it was so hard for someone like me to get in, um, what made you, what gave you that conviction? Cause you've had that conviction so early on, um, that, that you knew that we would eventually get to a place where it was easier to, you know, open up a wallet and to go mainstream and that, uh, things like Mt. Gox and these like broken exchanges would die and more uh, prominent ones would come into play. Are those things that back then, when you were really going all in with conviction, you kind of you had a mindset that you knew because of the power of the technology, all those things would come. I'm just curious, uh, what gave you that conviction so early on? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, it, it was difficult to have a lot of conviction early on. Um, I think a lot of the a lot of the reason I, I kind of stuck with it was was um, because of something that that was maybe even a little bit deeper than than crypto itself, uh, which is you know I, I had been investing in traditional financial markets at that point for probably about ten years, and I had like hits and misses you know not, no real great success but uh, a very good friend uh, as a birthday present took took me to see a, a Ray Kurzweil talk, uh, mm -hmm. and and uh, you know I'd, I'd been kind of thinking about. You know, I guess like accelerationism and, and you know the technological singularities and, and things like that for a very long time, 
but it, it was kind of listening to this talk that I, I really started to, to, to internalize this idea that, um, that, you know, people just can't properly handicap, uh, exponential technological growth. And, and that if, if you kind of adopted that as not only like a investment thesis, but just generally a worldview, um, that, that, that would probably be something pretty powerful and, and that maybe you wouldn't have to work for too much longer if, if, if you did it right. Mm. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of resolved to just, uh, make myself, uh, make my life like as, 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 uh, closely positioned to, to this kind of technological, uh, acceleration as possible, you know, in the sense of, of working in tech, only buying tech stocks, you know, just thinking about tech all the time. Uh, and, and so I think it was in that context that you you, you saw something like Bitcoin come along. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you had the, the other piece of this is, is if you had been kind of messing around with with BitTorrent and, and, and Napster and, you know, all, all those technologies and, and just thought about just kind of how robust those networks were, right? Like how, how much censorship resistance they had, even without any kind of financial incentive backing them. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of clear that that Bitcoin you know, with, with the same, with the same kind of properties around distribution, but actually like, uh, uh, kind of, uh, a crypto economic feedback loop backing it, that, that, that could become very, very powerful very quickly. Yeah. Thanks for going into that because I do think, I mean, that's what makes me just respect when I talk to OGs in the space like that, it's just crazy. And having a tech background obviously probably helped to understand and be able to read, um, into it and understand kind of, the the potential for um what the technology could do did you back then when you were looking into it because you were big into investing in tech companies were you also did you realize that this uh would be like the disruptor to um to big tech did you did you kind of foresee that happening like that it's easy to kind of see now but did you foresee like how uh how that could start to transition or if not like when did that kind of moment happen yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I would say it probably took something like a year or two before uh, I started really thinking about how I, I, I remember, I, I don't even think I read this anywhere else. I, I think it was just in thinking about it. I, I kind of had this, had this thesis that that like, Bitcoin was probably just like a, a black hole that would suck all the fiat money in. Yeah, um, that that, that, you know, when, when you have money, that's that hard, that has never, never existed before, that that um, in, in the same way that um, you know, you, you hear people talk about um, kind of in, in innovation. I mean, this isn't a very pleasant analogy, an analogy but like people talk about innovation um, as, as like a, a gun that you can shoot your competitors with, right? That if, if you have like a whole bunch of like large, boring, old corporations in a room and, and you know, you stick an innovative company in, in that room, that those corporations would then kind of compete to buy that company and, and use that as a weapon against their competitors. Mm. And I think probably about one or two years in, I started to realize that that, that Bitcoin did that for nation states, that it, it eventually someone would be forced to move first and, and essentially, you know, put put this on their balance sheet. And, and after that, everyone else would be forced to follow suit. And, you know, I think we're still kind of just at the beginning of that, but it's starting to happen. Yeah, and you've uh, definitely within your tweets just in the last few weeks, you've been talking a lot more about how, um, you know, this is it's there's definitely a balance right between um, regulation and innovation because because uh, like you said, the disruptor in this case of crypto and blockchain, it's disruptive not only to um, 
to corporations and tech, but it's also it, it is a disruptor to current uh, like systems that have been set up around government and financial systems as we know it. And so uh, I, I am curious to talk a little bit about kind of that role, like in order to go mainstream, regulation is obviously needed, but then at the same time, like it can really hurt and disrupt the innovation of the tech as well. Um, and so w- what are your thoughts on kind of where we are today in terms of regulation and, and moving things forward as a, a, in balance with uh, where, you know, the potential of where we can go if, if, things, uh, if things are able to continually be innovated um, without really fearing, um, you know, the, the power systems that are in play of government and jurisdictions? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I'll just start out by saying, you know, I'm not in, in any sense uh, an expert in this stuff. I'm just yeah. someone who's been around in crypto long enough that, that I've taken it on as a cause and, and someone who's kind of naturally, I think, a little bit anti-establishment and, and thinks that this, this might be a better way for the, the world to work. Um, you know, that, that said, uh, I, I think I've, I've, I've mentioned this maybe even a long time ago when I was starting to get, get into NFTs that, that like, um, the, the form of this makes it, um, just, just by nature, by nature of the form, it, it is political and it is a political movement and it mm-hmm. is a, it is an activist movement. Uh, and, and it is a movement around, you know, freedom of speech and, and, and all kinds of other rights. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that it, these things might look like JPEGs or, you know, silly memes or whatever, but what's actually going on here is a lot more, a, a lot deeper and a lot more political. And, and, you know, I was saying this, I think even back in, in February or March that, you know, in, in, in spite of looking very tame at the time that, that it was essentially inevitable that it, it would become political and it would become politicized. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit now. Um, you know, just just thinking about the, the kind of censorship, which I think um, takes place in the space that that probably a lot of people who are just getting into it, and especially people that that are approaching it from from an art or artist background, um, that, that they, they don't necessarily um, recognize, I guess, the extent to which uh, regular kind of regulatory uncertainty and regulatory considerations have already framed so much of, of what builders in the space do. You know, I, I can't even tell you how many times over the years um, friends and I had, had built things and then, you know, consulted with a lawyer and not launched those things because we were concerned about what the fallout might be. Mm, yeah. And of course, recognizing putting something on chain, like once that's done, you can never undo that. And, and just, just what a kind of personal risk you end up taking as a founder and a builder and a maker to do that stuff. And, and so I think there's, there is probably like a whole universe, like a huge universe of, of applications that could exist today uh, that don't exist today because of people self-centering and, and because of people being afraid of, of uh, these kind of regulatory consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that already kind of shows that we're, you know, we're, we're already well on the path to, to, uh, you know, a, a place with a lot of censorship and, and a lot of self-censorship and, and people kind of uh, framing their actions based on how regulators and politicians might react when, when they don't even know if what they're doing is, is uh, permitted or not. So I think it's already shaping the space and it's already kind of in, in an unfortunate place. Um, 
So I, I, I think, you know, going, going forward, uh, I, I think it's, it's probably, it's, it's likely to become more adversarial. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and really, I think, I think the worst case scenario, um, well, probably not the worst case scenario, but a, a very bad scenario uh, will be a kind of bifurcation of, of the space where, uh, you know, these, these like fairly heavy handed regulations come along uh, and, and you have uh, the people that are willing to kind of comply and, and build within them. And then the people that are, are kind of interested in, in using the full potential of this technology to experiment and, and maybe have a lot more impact and, and work a lot more freely. Um, and and you, you end up having a, a kind of like a light market and a dark market, essentially. You know, you have the regulated KYC market, which has some pool of crypto and some pool of users. And then you have the uh, potential like, quote unquote, dark market where you have people that, that are kind of experimenting a lot more freely. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that um, the existence of, of the, the kind of uh, so-called, you know, dark, dark pool of, of crypto and dark pool of apps and things is, is used as justification for further regulation on, on the rest of the applications. And, and so you have something on one hand that looks a lot like the existing financial system, right, that has been kind of like captured by a lot of friction and, and regulatory capture. And then on the other hand, you have uh, the, the stuff that looks a lot more like what we're experiencing now that's very interesting, but, but is seen by most people as, as illegitimate and kind of like outside of, of what's permitted in the yeah. world. So, you know, I, I think that wouldn't be a good outcome at all. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's almost, it's it's funny in a way, but then it's also really sad to see um, you just how reactionary uh, like the government and Federal Reserve can be when it comes to uh, blockchain technology and, and cryptocurrency and digital currency. It's, uh, it's funny to hear Janet Yellen just like four years ago uh, in 2017-18 talking about she didn't even know what Bitcoin was and now it's like now they're talking about creating a digital currency and thinking about this after China made the first move and it's just it's do you think I'm curious what you because I have my own opinion but I I'm curious of how ignorant you think like uh, nation states are, or do you think it's just uh, do you think it's a game that's being played right now, and they're having to be very careful about their moves that they make? I don't, I don't really have a good sense either way. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say it's probably just a lot of ignorance. Yeah, you know, when 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 you hear analogies like you know clean up on aisle three, and and you know some of these other very, I think naive analogies about about what this space is and, and what it means, you know, you, you can't help but think like if, if you don't even have the right analogies in your head for, for what this is, like how, how can you possibly respect it or, or you know, uh, regulate it correctly? So. Yeah, I would say even if they understood the technology or if people were, I think now they're starting to understand that this is something that they need to take a lot more time uh, and diligence looking into. But I, I do agree. I think that it's, uh, it's something that once... Now that it's starting to really become a disruptor, now it's like, okay, what you see a lot of reaction to it. And it's funny because lately we've seen you're, you're starting to see um, these like safe spaces popping up. You've got Puerto Rico or you've got, you know, states like Miami that are trying to be very, or cities like Miami trying to be very friendly to the tech and innovation. Uh, do you think we're going to see a lot more pockets um, where there's like development and growth and people in 
in the space kind of herd to because they feel like they're able to uh, innovate more? I mean, we've already kind of seen that, but do you see do you see that becoming a trend in the next few years of those places popping up more and more? I don't know. I mean, I, that that's difficult to say. Like the 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 cost, I, I you know, and this I think gets starts to get to questions about about kind of digital anonymity and, and kind of all these PFPs and digital reputation, which is, you know, the, the, the cost of, of relocating yourself physically. I mean, it, it's both difficult and seems to be becoming more difficult in the context of COVID and the kind of like mm-hmm. short-term, hopefully reversal of globalization that we're seeing. Uh, and, and meanwhile, you know, the, the cost of, of um, having anonymous or pseudo-anonymous reputation online is, is, de- is decreasing. So, I kind of wonder if, if like the, the all the relocation is kind of happening in the metaverse. Mm. And yes, I mean you will see people that want to kind of get together and, and, and move to different places. But I don't know. That I there there are probably you know if if you can have a good life in the metaverse, there might be physically more optimal places to live than I don't know like you know in in uh, some country that maybe doesn't have great infrastructure but is yeah. is very friendly to crypto. So I I think. And, and I think this is probably ultimately good for the movement in the long run, right? Like if everyone just gets like herded into these pockets of, of you know, uh, crypto friendly countries, it, it's kind of just like they're getting shooed to the side. Uh, whereas if, if they're kind of participating meaning, meaningfully within these economies within, you know, uh, I guess, more developed countries that, that have a bit more clout globally, then it might be better for the scene in the long run. I agree. I think that's uh, I think that's powerful. Speaking about the metaverse and now and look, transitioning to that a little bit, you talk. Um, I talk a lot about in the show about like the inevitable intersection of DeFi and crypto and NFTs. And for people that were kind of crypto native that didn't just get into NFTs in the last you know year or so, they I think it's a little more clear, especially when you start seeing the incorporation of a lot of DAO features and DeFi features into new projects. And I don't think people understand really what I mean when I talk about, you know, the intersection of all of these things. But as a true crypto native in this space, um, I was curious if you could speak a little bit about how you believe NFTs and this new market play a larger role into the broader adoption of crypto and the intersection that it'll have um, when it comes to some of the finance uh, financial tools as well in the space. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, I think the, the the place to start there is probably just in understanding uh, one of the really, really powerful things about Ethereum, which is is the the composability, right? Like, um, it it's it's the case most of the time when you build an application outside of Ethereum or outside of the blockchain that 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 application kind of uh, it it exists by default um, in in this kind of closed in world right with with no ability to interface with anything else and and then you very explicitly have to kind of expose it so that other applications can interact with it mm-hmm. whereas it, it's kind of like the default state on on ethereum that these applications are exposed and and can be interacted with with uh, with other applications uh, and and so there's this like level of oper- uh, interoperability that exists between all of these crypto primitives on Ethereum that that is is nothing really like anything that has existed before, uh, and and so um, I think uh, by default we just have to understand that everything is plugged into everything else, 
and and that even though we're kind of used to thinking about things in in very concrete terms, you know, like uh, X is is money or X is a painting or or you know is, is art, that on Ethereum almost by default the, these lines are very very blurry, right? Mm -hmm. Like like an NFT is is simultaneously art and money, you know, it's it's a picture and a token kind of combined into one, uh, and and you know, to, to the extent that it can then be kind of stuffed into a smart contract or fractionalized or, you know, uh, borrowed against, uh, there's almost no distinction between between money and art in this world. It, yeah. it, you know, a DC investor talks about this a bit. It, it's it's all just kind of like programmable collateral. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you have assets and you have code and, and these things kind of interact in arbitrary ways. So I think the default position here is, is just like... Uh, a lot of, of very blurry lines. Um, when you get into into um, maybe the um, the cultural layer of this, and 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 you can see how that starts to kind of feed back into the tech. I think you also have this this phenomenon happening happening where where memes and money are are, are kind of becoming indistinguishable. Yeah. Right. So at the, at the same time, on the tech layer, that art and money, like that that art and tokens are becoming indistinguishable on the social layer you have you have memes and money kind of becoming indistinguishable uh, and and you have things like dogecoin that exist you know outside of the ethereum world but still they dogecoin exists and and dogecoin is essentially you know the the world's biggest uh fractionalized meme yeah right and and it it, it it's essentially a meme without provenance and i mean we can talk about this more but but you know this in the same way that that the the Pepe, um, you know the original rare Pepe's, are are kind of memes without provenance. I think if something is is memed enough, it probably uh, acquires its own provenance. But it's not the provenance of the creator, right? Like the person that created Dogecoin is not the person who took the picture of the Doge, and the person that created the rare Pepe's isn't Matt Fury. Uh, and and so you can you can kind of start to wonder that um, if you have uh, if you have something that is a stronger claim on something else, uh, then then if you have something that, that that is a is a stronger claim on the meme than what everybody thinks is the meme, what happens next? Yeah. Right. So you have this like hundred billion dollar token, whatever Dogecoin is worth, that that actually doesn't have the strongest claim on on the provenance of of the meme of Doge, and you have like Pleaser Dow that that bought the picture of the Doge, which which is the strongest claim on 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 the meme of the doge and then they they proceed to fractionalize that that meme and and people start to use the fractionalized meme as money in the same way they, they use dogecoin as money you you can start to understand how um memes and money or or uh tokens and art or or nft and, and DeFi are all really nfts and DeFi are, are are all really just kind of part of the same thing that they're they're not really uh you can't really distinguish between them. So I, I think that's that's the, the path towards uh, the intersection of, of those two. I, I mean, it is, it's so interesting hearing you speak on that because it's so true. And I used to be, I mean, I had a lot of uh, friends that are early, like that I saw waiting to get into crypto for years and years. I talked to them about it. And then when they finally did, they bought Doge. And I was like, what the hell are you doing buying Dogecoin as your first crypto investment? But then it started to dawn on me as it continued to like climb the charts at, at what you just said, which is like the power of 
you know, a meme and the community that's around that to kind of persist. And it's like, you don't even know the difference between it being a currency and just a meme. Um, and so it is so fascinating to think about how that kind of spills over into NFTs as well. And you're starting to see it already uh, when it comes to something like the Board Ape Yacht Club with celebrities and people with a lot of uh, kind of cultural relevancy starting to use this as their profile picture and so and you've kind of talked about this transition uh, and this power of nfts in terms of the cultural movement into this technology and i'd love for you to speak a little bit more about that sure can can, can you maybe just frame it more as a specific question yeah so so i'd love for you to just kind of tell us about You've uh, put out some tweets about how NFTs are kind of the 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 like cultural uh, adoption and mainstream adoption is going to be coming much more from like the NFT side of things than just uh, investors like you and I that got in and were like reading ICO papers and understanding the tech. Uh, there's there's people that don't understand anything about. Uh, top like the the technology behind it but they love buying top shot or they love buying punks and so i'm just curious uh if you could speak a little bit about how this nfts and the relevancy around nfts kind of take this uh technology to the next level because of the cultural uh the cultural yeah, aspect sure. behind it sure yeah i mean i you know i i think that part is the the first part is is very clear that that uh, you know, that art or, or culture or, or memes or pictures uh, just appeal to way more people than, you know, kind of complex financial instruments, right? Like, yeah. uh, I, you know, Ma Maker and MakerDAO is probably one of the more interesting projects in the space. How many people have I, I sent, you know, to, to like research Maker over the years and like how many of them actually cared or got it or spent two hours trying to understand it? And even if they did, you know, how, how many kind of, uh, other primitives do they have to understand first to even understand, you know, why why Maker is, is an innovation? Uh, you know, meanwhile, you look at a picture of a Doge and you think it's cute. And, and <laughs> if if and if they, you kind of inter internalize this idea that like the fact that it's cute and and other people uh, like it are, are going to make it somehow like increase in value, you just buy that thing. It's it's just so much easier to grok. And in the uh, fact that it's uh, the denomination is so low, you know, it's easy. People don't understand when the market cap is somewhat similar, but Dogecoin is point zero zero two cents. That sounds like a good deal. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. So I, I think it's in that sense, you know, like you you can again you can think about these things as um, you can think of them as as these uh, okay, like memes are very very powerful. We know that already, right? Crypto economic feedback loops are very, very powerful. We know that already. Uh, and, and those to date have been two different fields, right? Like, uh, you know, memes, like all, all the stuff that happened with Pepe that happened completely outside of the context of crypto and all the stuff that happened with Bitcoin, you know, completely outside of the context of memes, although Bitcoin, I guess, kind of became its own meme to, a, to an extent. But like now, if you take those things and you smash them together, you know, memes that are backed by crypto economic feedback loops, uh, the, they just kind of pull each other along until everybody everybody in the world knows about them and wants yeah. to wants to own a piece of them. So it you know it, it's taking the power of of two things that that are are already so so powerful and and are already so kind of responsible for everything we experience today, 
you know, uh, and, and putting those two things together, it, it, it's, it's almost, you know, programmed that, um, that this stuff is, is just going, going to take over everything. Like in, in the same way that you could in 2014, look at Bitcoin and say, okay, this thing is, is a black hole for fiat. Uh, you can look at crypto economic backed memes and say, okay, you know, this thing is a black hole for culture. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so you really inspired my outlook and my view on like creating a personal identity, uh, an anonymous identity online and building a brand around that. That's how Crazy Carl really got the start by kind of watching and, and really, re- really respecting the way that you did it with 4156. Um, he's in Punk 4156 is now one of the most well known anonymous profiles in the space. And it's because of the way that you you think and that you act and that you kind of portray um you're thinking in the space so i i know you understand the direction of like avatar identities and the power of you know the brand and culture and meme behind them and so i'd love for you to tell a little bit about um when you kind of realized that punk 4156 was bigger than just you know the guy behind the screen uh that's doing the tweets yeah it's a good question i i, I don't know if i ever uh there was ever a moment uh, I mean, there, I guess there were moments where I was like, okay, this, this thing's like kind of getting out of control. Like, <laughs> like, like, uh, uh, April 15th when we did punk 4156 day and everyone was changing their avatar to 4156. I mean, that was pretty awesome. And fun. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like uh, this all started out very, very innocently in the sense that I was like, okay, NFTs are going to be big and interesting. Uh, you know, I, I have all this crypto sitting here. I'm, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. This seems like an interesting thing to do. And one day I was just scrolling through the CryptoPunks and and kind of right around having this realization that it would be fun to own a high-end punk. I was like, okay, it would be fun to own a high-end punk, but not just like sit on it to actually build build like a brand around it and do something fun with it. And my my original idea, I mean, I guess you know, if you want to think of 4156 as like a startup, in in the same way that you can kind of start a startup with a with like a very naive um, idea. And, and let the market tell you what you actually should be doing. I think that's basically what I did. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this ape and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint like silly pictures of, of like blue bananas and that will be mm-hmm. that will be the thing, you know, the ape will be the artist. Uh, but then kind of getting into the market and kind of understanding uh, the, the scope of the opportunity and, and, and that I was probably more well-suited to be a collector than an artist. Uh, and and just kind of experimenting there, but then yeah, that that still doesn't explain, you know, it, it doesn't explain why spending a bunch of money on on an X copy or whatever would would lead to um, forty one fifty six as a as like a an entity becoming famous, because you know I I had I, I was active in in Twitter on or on Twitter with with a with my docs account mm-hmm. uh, for for years and I think you know acquired like five hundred followers or something like that. Uh, and, and, uh, and yeah, you know, there, there's, there's some kind of like special sauce here and, and I don't know, I don't really know what it is. Um, I, it, it, maybe it's some kind of synthesis between me and, 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 you know, the, the profile picture, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a JPEG. It's, it's 24 by 24 pixels. <laughs> and you just kind of wonder what, what it is about that thing that, that makes it so compelling. And yet somehow it seems to be. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I don't really fully understand it myself. 
it, it's it's fascinating and I think it does run into kind of what you were talking about with like Dogecoin and like this convergence of like this meme and like monetary like people know and people knew even when I was starting it I mean I was following you I kind of got into the, the NFT and crypto Twitter scene back in like late February and I've been kind of following you ever since then and it is it just interesting to see how some of the the, uh, the anonymous profiles Beanie's another one that just it, they kind of just take shape and or you can think of pranksy i mean there's so many now that you know you get a reputation uh based on what you put out there whether that's good or bad but all of a sudden it's uh there's this this picture this jpeg that's attached to you know your identity and i i it is interesting to think how that kind of uh crosses over into the metaverse world as well um like you had already Uh, go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, like, maybe on some level, it's not even new, like, brands have been doing this forever, right? Like Nike, you have all these kind of associations that are that are built up in your mind around, around, you know, all, all of those things that that you feel and, and remember when you see the check mark. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe this is, isn't really new. And, and or, or rather that the only thing that is new here is the fact that now the, the, the Nike check can be owned, right? That the check is like finance backed. Mm-hmm. And and that and that if you screw up, uh, you you could you could kind of harm the value, and if if you do well, you could increase the value, and maybe maybe that's the that's the feedback part, right? That's like, it it's the fact that four one five six has become really valuable because because of the brand, that that makes the brand more valuable, and and that's the piece that's missing, um, it, you know, with with traditional logos. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you speak on that um, because I do think you're right. Like it is, it's kind of a it it kind of represents everything that you're about. And when people respect that, and you kind of create a name in the space, it's it's that go to thing that people think of. Um, and it's really powerful. It doesn't matter that it could have been anything. It could have been an ape or or a punk. It just happens that you're a crypto punk, especially because you were in um, the scene uh, uh, earlier. And it's it's cool to. See See people starting to, you know, try to create um, identities around avatars, and uh, and it, it really was inspiring to me. So I appreciate all um, that that it did kind of take off, whether it was intentional or not. Uh, you but- know what? When I just want to pick up on something that you said there, which is like I, I actually don't think it it would have happened to the same extent if it, if it was just a random picture. And I think that's like the the really weird and and maybe the most interesting part about it is like if it was a floor punk or it wasn't a punk, I, I don't think it would have worked to the same extent. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that is like the, the most kind of like alarming and, and strange and powerful thing about it. And, and maybe the thing that makes these things even more valuable than, than we think they are, which is like certain ones have this kind of gravity um, that, that actually where it, it you know, it, um, I don't know, you, you could ask like, is, is Nike Nike because of the check or, right. or, do we recognize the check because of, because of Nike? But I think on some, some level, it's like a feedback loop, right? Like if, if they had some awful logo, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be as iconic as it is. And, and if, if, if you didn't have, like, I don't know, I, I do think there's something special about certain of these punks that, that they have like a, a real artistic merit that is very, very rare. And, mm-hmm. and somehow it, it's, it's the, the interrelationship between the the object you know the the nike check and and the brand that 
it, it's like only when both of those uh, are coherent and both of those are excellent that, that you can like really express the full power of them. I actually appreciate that. That when I was trying to figure out the identity that I wanted uh, to kind of go after, I was actually, I was way too late for punks. I would have had to buy a floor punk. And like you said, it's almost like leaders in a community. Like you were a leader in the punk community very early on. People that bought crypto punks, they knew 4156. Uh, and so that's kind of, I think you kind of, kind of see leaders in different communities kind of emerging. And I was getting in during like the Board Ape Yacht Club. I had several apes, but I couldn't afford you know the gold or the like um the trippy one at the time and so i was like okay i'm gonna look at something else and that's actually how i'd stumbled on my gutter cat because that's one of the rarest gutter cats and i i do believe you're right when it comes to uh kind of the the, when you look at something the art behind it but also within a community being able to see uh you you helped build the crypto punk brand and i think that's very powerful and people uh people acknowledge that and respect you for that and so in that same way way is kind of how I, I until you said that I didn't really uh, realize it but subconsciously I think that's kind of why I was looking for a community where I could get you know a top tier NFT where I could make it my profile picture and and create a brand and an identity around that because you're right that it's it, it's about community it's about uh, how people portray you but then there is that element of um of kind of the culture behind it and the the culture behind crypto punks there's 10,000 of them so you have to kind of set yourself apart uh in in a way to be you know noticed yeah that's that's right i mean i i think i agree all right i wanted to uh, i wanted to uh chat with you for a minute about kind of the um and speak. This will be the last question. Then we'll start bringing up some people from the audience to ask questions. So if you have a question for Punk Four One Five Six, go ahead and hit that request button, and we'll start bringing up some people here in just a minute um, to ask your question. But one thing Four One Five Six I really think is interesting is the metaverse. You already kind of talked about the borderless nature of it, and so I'd love um, for you to just kind of chat about where you see you kind of see Twitter as almost the original, the OG metaverse. But there's all these metaverses being built, and I'd just love for you to kind of talk about how um, as these these systems and these uh, like virtual economies and, and worlds are built out, how that'll continue to kind of shape the the landscape of what's po- possible with like borderless economies. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, that, that is, I guess it's kind of a big topic, but um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think... Yeah, sorry for a loaded question. <laughs> Tell me in 30 seconds about the power of these borderless economies. <laughs> You know, I, I think kind of like t- tying that back to uh, NFTs, and and I've seen kind of Fred Fred Erson from from Coinbase talk about this before as well. Um, that that um, you know, with, with Bitcoin, what happened was that first the asset was created, and we you know we talked about this earlier too. First the asset was created, and then then the infrastructure was kind of created on top of the asset, right? Um, that that the asset itself was the motivation for creating creating all the infrastructure that we see today. And I think uh, kind of similarly, I think these NFTs are, are like the, are, are both like the base layer and then also the motivation for building up the metaverse, right? Like why does something like, I don't know, on cyber exist? Uh, you know, why, why are people finally trying to take a run at, at, at Twitter and, and uh, you know, b- build something that, that is uh, kind of more interesting and sophisticated? On, on some level, it's because the, the NFTs exist 
and and are kind of creating uh, the motivation to 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 build out the metaverse. Um, so we I think we can think about these assets as as like both the base layer uh, and and the the kind of incentive system for for building out the metaverse on top of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in terms of like where this goes, you know, is Twitter the metaverse or or is decentralized the metaverse or is crypto voxels the metaverse? You know, and, and uh, what what kind of ends up happening between those spaces? You know, I I, I think it's it's like very much too early to tell. Um, but it, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to think about the NFT as the layer that is kind of portable that that lets us uh, that lets us kind of like sustain our identity or uh, you know have a consistent identity between all these different metaverses, uh, and and that you know the. It, it kind of makes sense in the sense that the blockchain is the, you know, that's, that's the source of truth. That's the, you know, again, the, the base layer that ties everything together. Um, so I think, you know, the more metaverses we see kind of built out, the more utility we have for, for these NFTs, uh, the more kind of embedded these things become in, in culture, the more valuable they become. And then of course, if they're more valuable, then there's more incentive for more people to build up more metaverses. So I, I think it's probably a, a pretty healthy, crypto economic feedback loop that, that we're going to see lead both to the NFTs being very, very important, but then also to a lot of different metaverses being built out. Yeah, I, I think that's, a, I mean, the perfect response. I think you're right. I think it's just, it's continuing to be a part. It's, it's, it's so interesting seeing the evolution. I mean, in 2013, when you first started investing in crypto, there's no, I, there's no way to have predicted where we were, we're going to be today. And just like that, there's no way to kind of predict where these metaverses go, but it's just knowing the trajectory. And, and it's so it's, it, you're such a deep thinker. It's been an honor, uh, sharing the stage and chatting with you. And, uh, thank you so much for being here, man. We're going to, if you have some time, we're going to pull up some people for questions now. Yeah, all good, please. All right, here we go. Get your catnip and questions ready. It's time for you to take the stage for another segment of Community Corner. Hey, all right, I had to bring uh, my my brother Farouk up. Farouk, thanks for joining the show, and uh, you're on stage. Go ahead, man. What up, what up? Oh, my God, this is so awesome. I'm so happy I managed to catch, like, uh, most of this, I think I've been pretty vocal about 4156 being one of my favorite follows in the space. Um, you're always so well-spoken. Like it's, it's really hard not to be incredibly bullish after just listening to you. I think I could, if we could tune into your brain and just hear your thoughts 12 hours a day, I'd probably listen all day. But <laughs> <laughs> You want to make a bed and just live in, in 4156's brain. <laughs> real, I'll, like, I'll switch places with you for a break. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it could be awesome. I have one question for you. Um, you know, I, who are you? I mean, come on, dox yourself. Because <laughs> it's just so incredible. It, 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 you know, I, you I, alluded I think to it, that. It, it, it would be just like shockingly uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, again, I've said this before, but, it, you know, the, the puppet is, is so much more interesting than the puppeteer, right? Like mm. we, we, re, we remember, I don't know, Big Bird, not, not, the guy inside the costume. I know there was a documentary about him, but I, I don't remember his name. Something Carol, um, and and you know, of course, that that was a very 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 important contribution that 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 he made. But but the thing that we remember is 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 the character. Yeah, you know, I think I actually have a more serious question. I think could be of value to the show and to the listeners. Obviously, I think a lot of people saw the uh, articles go up about Twitter yesterday and avatar profile picture you know sort of verification to see that you're actually connected to you know your wallet to say actually verify ownership of your avatars 
And you put a tweet out that I think, and I was saying on my on our morning show this morning, that was kind of tweet of the day yesterday for me, is how you said, if people actually understood the significance of this move, the CryptoPunk spot would be broken right now. And I, I really like that comment. Maybe you could speak to the significance of something like that, like Twitter, which is right now arguably the, the metaverse as we say it, and I totally agree with that. I mean, for me, the metaverse is opening Twitter right now, right? Um, the significance and the importance of such a move for Web3 and just, you know, uh, projects like CryptoPunks. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, you know, I think we were on some level, this is what we were just talking about, which is uh, we, we've seen to date a lot of like non-scaled metaverses plugging into to NFTs. And, and the reason those metaverses exist, I think on some level is, is because of NFTs. Uh, and, and so it's great to, to have those integrations but the scale of Twitter is probably like, you know, a hundred thousand times or a million times larger than, than any of those metaverses. Uh, and so to the extent that, that we want to think of Twitter as a metaverse, plugging that metaverse into, into the NFT ecosystem and, and just kind of reinforcing that feedback loop, you know, is, is it's, it's hugely bullish for, for NFTs, right? Like the, the reason these things are interesting is that um, they, they are these kind of arbitrary tokens that, that can have utility, you know, in the same way that you, you kind of, uh, what, what is, you know, the thing that you use to like uh, breathe air in, into a fire to, to like stoke the flames. What's that called? Oh, I lost the word. Uh, so you know what I mean, right? Like you're, yeah. you're like fanning, fanning the flames. You, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, you could, you could do that with your hand or, or you could, you could like take the, the big, you know, that thing that you open and close and it's, it's like, you know, pushes a lot more air into the fire, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, the, the, the NFTs are the fire, and 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 every time somebody kind of like plugs into into the NFT ecosystem, that fire burns a little brighter. And and I think Twitter plugging into that ecosystem is is probably you know short of like Facebook doing it, which I hope they don't. Is probably like the one of the biggest things that can happen. I mean, especially since the whole community at the moment kind of lives on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, so that that kind of billows. Thank you. Someone just uh, DM'd me billows. <laughs> uh, uh, you got you and, can't, and, you phoned a friend live on Twitter Spaces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think that's what's so significant about it. And and if you think about punks as, as uh, I mean, this this is kind of a, a negative or, or cynical worldview of, of this, but you know. I, Someone once made a joke about like you know making a, a NFT project called Cast Vitars, you know like that that like all these tiers of, of NFTs are, are are like the different casts of the metaverse, which is not so nice to think about, but I don't know maybe that's just something natural that will happen or maybe it will go away. But but you know the, the to the extent that that the punks are are the kind of like top tier uh, representation of. of of all kinds of, of social values or cultural values or OGness or, you know, hipness or whatever, like um, wanting to represent yourself as a verified punk uh, on Twitter seems to me to be like a very, very uh, valuable and, and, and powerful thing to do. Uh, you know, if, if, if like imagine the, the, you know, the, the Twitter blue, blue check, the, the, the verified check, like imagine if Twitter sold those and, and not only did they sell them, but they actually sold tiers of them, right? And and in each tier, uh, there were fewer and fewer of, of, of that tier available. You know, if, if Twitter was selling like, I don't know, a thousand, a, a thousand of those blue checks in, in the top tier, 
who who would want to to buy them in the world you know you'd be competing with elon musk and and you know all, all of the kind of wealthiest most powerful people in the world and and so you you kind of wonder well what what would those things cost in that context and to the extent that these verified nfts are kind of like that you think that it it should kind of breathe a whole lot of financial value into them that's uh, it's fascinating to think about i mean just in terms of the next sphere of where we're heading it's like you're right it's uh it the the whole cultural element of like being verified is very similar. I think that was a really powerful analogy to what you think about in terms of like the crypto space uh, and NFT space and, and how it's going to emerge in like metaverse world. Like uh, Twitter seems to, like you said, kind of be a home where we all kind of meet up. And so it is going to be interesting to see see how that continues. Um, Subtle Bubble, this is your first time on stage, but I really appreciate you being uh, tuning in and I wanted to bring you up so you could ask your question. Thank you so much for bringing me up. Um, I've been loving these shows and it's it's just crazy that we get to hear from 4156. So I had to tune in and I'm feeling really honored I get to speak right now. Oh, definitely. Um, if, I, if I'm a little long-winded and, and don't make too much sense, please just let me know. <laughs> but I would just love to hear your thoughts, 4156, on absurdism and going out on a whim in this space. I'm just very interested in people that push the mold, and I know you've been um, able to do so through just every like so much that you've done, some things that come to mind, like Punks of Walmart. You just posted a tweet, and suddenly it's a crazy collection popping up. Um, doing your punk giveaway with and Jake receiving that and just changing the scope with all the things he was able to do with that. And and even other figures I see, like Fafa Fofo, who created such an amazing collection and then just auctioned it off for $1. Like, these things really keep me interested in just what's possible in the space. And I'm curious as to what your input on, or your, your insight on just pushing the mold and, and the absurd stuff we can do in this space is. Yeah, thanks. I, that, that's actually a super awesome question. Um, and and I, I mean, I haven't thought about it much, but I think you're absolutely right that that's like a big element of it. I mean, you know, I, I think you can, you can probably think about it in a few different ways. Like, you know, there, there's kind of like a long tradition of absurdism in, in art. Um, and, and so I think there's, there's maybe some of that, some of that at play. Um, you know, the, the other, the other, uh, way you can maybe think about it is like, um, that, that these sorts of things, like as we kind of, uh, inch towards, uh, post-scarcity world. And, and I mean, I know that's very loaded and, and, you know, I think on some level crypto, like you, you think about post-scarcity and you think about how, uh, if, if it does happen, it doesn't happen for everyone simultaneously, right? If, if post-scarcity is like a, a it's, it, it's like a, a feature of, of technological acceleration that it's going to start somewhere and then it's going to kind of like spread out from there. And, and that maybe crypto is the place where it started, right? Like you buy Bitcoins in 2013 or ether or whatever, and, and you're kind of like exposed to a thousand percent per annum. Like the, the people that, are, are kind of located closest to the technology kind of get to experience the, the post-scarcity first. And that if you do live in a post-scarcity economy, uh, you can you can be absurd, not just with with art, but also with money, right? You, you, you can kind of like, um, you, you can use it to do fun stuff, but then you can also use it uh, in, in the way that this whole movement is political. You can, you can use it uh, you can use it politically, and you can use it to to kind of point out the absurdity of of, 
of all these kind of relationships. So it, it seems like, well, and, and then also maybe you can think about how Twitter is just like a, a very performative medium. And you kind of put all those things together and it just seems very natural that, that we should do things that, that are absurd. I mean, I, I think the other piece of it is just that like traditional culture has just been so constrained for so long that when, when we all get together and, and are kind of experiencing this thing and, and, and testing out the limits and testing out the power and, and maybe a lot of us not necessarily having to have day jobs anymore, you know, we can just, we can just be riskier with it and we can do silly stuff and we can make it fun. Um, so I think it's very healthy and natural and, and, you know, hopefully we see a lot more of it. Um, yeah, you know, even the whole like, you know, GM, uh, NGMI, like all, all of that stuff is, is kind of part of it as well. It's uh, it's awesome. Oh, sorry, crazy. No, thanks, Little Bubble, for coming up and asking that. I think it's uh, I think it's a really important question, and I I just love too. Four one five six. He had already kind of mentioned it, but you've really, I mean, you just continue to push the mold. Um, and in terms of what you're thinking and what's possible for this space, and I, I mean, the Nouns DAO is a, a pretty good example of of just another innovation. But I just think it's really powerful to have um, builders in this space that are continually continually thinking about how we can elevate to the next level. Uh, and so thank you for doing that and and just continuing to think about how we can, not, not being scared to think about uh, how we can continue to push the narrative around blockchain and, and crypto and NFTs. Um, I, just speak, speaking about fear, just for one second, I, yeah. I, I just want to touch on this because I think it's important. There, there was some time, and I don't remember when this was. Um, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago, uh, when when uh, Vitalik was, you know, advocating advocating for Ethereum, uh, and and you know was really really uh, being subjected to a lot of bullying from from Bitcoin maximalists. And remember, this is you know he's of course ex very very exceptional, but still at the time was 19, 20, 21 year old, uh, and and was just being bullied like crazy from this giant angry mob uh, and and he posted something uh, he tweeted something to the effect of we're not afraid and i just thought that was like one of the most powerful things that i've i've, I've seen in, in my whole time in the space uh, and and you know the, the kind of speaking about a, a absurdism or, or just not being afraid to to build things you know in in the face of of criticism from the the angry twitter mob or in the face of regulators or uh, you know, in the face of employers or, or you know, people who say that crypto is a bubble and you're going to lose all your money or whatever, whatever it might be. You know, that, that idea that like that we're not afraid, I think, is one that's just so, so important for every, all of us to keep in mind, you know, as we're holding or building or, or whatever. You know, there, there's just I think there's just so much at stake here. Um, there's so much there's more at stake uh, if if it doesn't work out. There's so much at stake if it doesn't work out that that really like all the risks that we take in, in holding these assets and doing what we do, I think kind of pale in, in comparison. So I, I just think that that whole idea that, that we should should be unafraid and that we should just kind of build on is, is just super important. I talk a lot about, you know, finding a conviction moment in the space and you've had conviction so early on and it's just really inspiring to hear someone that that really believes in what's ha what the technology is and a, a deeper understanding too, not just the art, not just the NFT but really understanding that, like you said, like you, we're all at the end of the day, and you 
might not realize it when you buy your first NFT, but we're all activists in, in a very important way in terms of what we how we act and what we do in this space. And it, whether you, I mean, activists in so many ways politically uh, is just one of them. But just, uh, just to, to hear that from you, I think is really important not to be afraid. And that touched home with me. So I appreciate you uh, elaborating too. All right. I wanted to bring someone that is really involved in um, this, the show and this community chat happens always being a huge uh, supporter. Uh, I wanted to bring him up. He had a question for you. Go ahead, Chet. Hi, 4156. Um, first off, thank you very much for being one of the first ones that uh, actually I saw in this space and stuff. And and really just, I thought I understood when I was getting into this. Like, <gasps> oh, easy, buddy. It's like, I thought I understood getting into this. Like, it's just collectibles or whatever. And then after I looked into like nouns and everything that you were talking about, it, it really was a mind opening thing for me. And I really do appreciate that. Yeah, cheers. Thank, thank you very much for, for saying that. I mean, I think, you know, that's uh, kind of o opening people's minds to what this all this stuff can do. Yeah, I think that's the reason we're here. Yeah, um, I guess my question that um, has to do with nouns, my understanding of it is um, it has to do with the transfer of NFTs like in a metaverse. Is that moderately correct or? Sorry, what what nouns is you mean? What's that? Yeah, like kind of my understanding, like just the whole gist of it, if you were to simplify, if you were to simplify it, like um, for, you know, this is quite a bit of an IQ jump for me uh, <laughs> in a sense of like, I, I don't know too much about them. All I really understand is it has to do with the transferring of an asset. Is that, that correct? I mean, now, so now you can think of like CryptoPunks with governance uh, in, you know, the, the simplest version of of what nouns are um you, you know it, it it it's a pfp but it, it also has this kind of additional utility of, of governing uh an organization and that organization is the beneficiary of, of all the money that is spent to buy the nouns um so it i think it, it it on some level it feels like a small tweak over over what CryptoPunks does but i think just just like everything else in crypto these very very small uh, additions of, of crypto economic incentives or, or features can can make something very very powerful. So I think what what it could become is is something maybe a very very significant. But what it maybe what it looks like today is is uh, CryptoPunks with with a kind of additional layer of of, of governance and, and treasury management. I think it. Uh... I'd love to ask a follow-up question about NounsDAO because I thought it was so fascinating that group bids happen to just kind of roll out right around the same time as NounsDAO. And we've seen so many uh, so many uh, nouns have been, been um, bid and won by kind of a group bid system. And I was curious if you if you guys, if, if the team had known that that would kind of roll out at the same time or if that just kind of was an evolution uh, of how things worked out. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think when we were building it, um, we we had uh, kind of thought about fractional and and thought about this idea that that you know the given the, the scarcity of the nouns, that it might be possible that that nouns could be owned and, and governed by DAOs, and, and that that actually becomes very very interesting because then you have this kind of like you know graduated system of of governance that looks a bit more like a country. Yeah, uh, you know that. You know, people kind of collectively govern the DAO, and then the govern the DAO participates, or the sorry, the uh, 
people collectively govern the noun and then the, the noun participates in, in the nouns that governance itself. Um, but uh, fractional, I don't think existed or, or, you know, at least wasn't public until after we finished building or, or right around when we launched the project. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, I, I, there, there's, there was definitely, and, you know, it's still very early, but there, there was this period of time where um, fractional and, and nouns and party bid, all three of them are, are probably less than two months old. And then all three of them are being used together where you have <laughs> yeah. a party bidding on a noun and then fractionalizing it. Yeah. Um, you know, this this really just gets back to, to those the, those questions about the interoperability of, of everything on Ethereum and and how that interoperability ends up leading leading to to this kind of integration of DeFi and NFTs. I mean, I knew I knew after reading about nouns that it was going to be huge, and then I was so bummed when like the 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 party bid started happening because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to own a noun now. I'm going to have to buy one in a party bid because it's just that that's become the way unless you unless you you know like you said maybe a DAO or these these organizations buying in to kind of decide it but it's uh it's been awesome to see how it worked out because it's really pushing forward a narrative of being able to use this party bid system and fractionalization in a way that is happening at the time of sale and not after someone has purchased it which is i think uh the use case of that is super powerful um and i think as it, we've seen that with um, the noun the nouns ecosystem. So uh, huge congrats to you guys, by the way, on on what you're building. I, I know it's gonna. I mean, people. I don't think some people in the space understand how big it is quite yet. But uh, like you said, as time goes on, it, it'll become very evident of the power of of the nouns DAO. So uh, keep on keep on uh, growing that and and pushing forward. It's amazing to see. All right, crime. I brought you up. Go ahead, crime. Yeah, hey guys. It's uh yeah, first off, it you know, four one five six also probably one of the first sort of faces or sort of digital faces I saw in the space and pretty sure I right click saved back in the day, you know, just out of spite or <laughs> not knowing what it was. But my question is now I'm sure there's a mix of like creators and and stuff like that in the crowd. Uh is there like an absolute best resource for this legal advice when it relates to like securities and regulations or SEC, you know, in gen, excuse me, in general. Yeah, that's I, that's a super super tough question, and I, and I think you know part part of um, the whole discussion that's that's ongoing now is there's not really like a, a good solution. Um, and uh, let me tell you, just as as someone who's built in the space over the years, like how how it's gone historically and why it's problematic, which is that you know typically what what has happened is you come up with a crazy idea and you're like, oh this you know this would be so awesome, let's let's build this on crypto. And then you start building it, and then and then you know a, a few weeks or months in, you you start to have these kind of like feelings that you're like, okay, you know, we should probably check with a lawyer to see if this is actually okay or not, because uh, you know it's not clear to us if this thing is is uh, you know has properties that will make it regulated or or if it if it's totally fine, uh, and and so then typically what you do is you go you go to a lawyer, you know, and this this is usually a very expensive process, and and you try it. You you ask them what they think, uh, and and they typically say you know the regulations are are so uncertain you know this this, this may or may not be something that's problematic in the long run. Um, we can we can research it for you, and then we will write you an opinion based on 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 what we figure out. Uh, and so then you you pay them a lot of money, and they go away and and they research the thing that you've built, 
they typically don't have very much um, experience. That's start, starting to change kind of, but they, they typically don't have very much experience with crypto. So they spend a lot of hours at you know, 500 or $1,000 an hour or whatever, uh, researching, researching what you have. And then they come back to you with an opinion that basically says, you know, uh, we think it's okay for you to build this as long as you don't do X or Y, because then this thing becomes a security and becomes regulated, becomes problematic, whatever. Um, and, then, and then you have that letter. And then, and and that letter is is you know kind of theorized to be your your shield. Um, it, it it acts both as advice so that you know what you should and shouldn't build, but then is also theorized to be this shield that if, if the regulators ever come to you, uh, and and say you know hey you know why why didn't you come to us when you built this thing? You can say well look we have this letter from from our lawyers we went went to see them and they gave us this letter. In practice, it seems like that letter is 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 just completely worthless. Uh, in practice, it seems like it, it's it's almost impossible to go and talk to the regulators about what you're building before you're building it, uh, and and so you're you're essentially just left with this decision of do you want to build this thing that kind of exists in this in this like super super ambiguous space, you're going to launch this thing on the blockchain, once you launch it, if you built it right, like you can never undo what what you created, right? It's it's just going to be out there forever, you know. Like even even if we we just like left the project right now, nouns might still be out there raising five hundred thousand dollars a day for the next ten years, which will make it obviously something very big, and it, it will come under come under some element of scrutiny at some point. So your your choices are really to 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 not build and to just go away and ignore this technology, or to build and just take on a very very large degree of of, of personal risk and personal uncertainty. And I think a lot of us choose to do the second one, but I think that's not the way that it should be. And I think that's why a lot of us are just so vocal about about all of this. So, I mean, I you know, I, I think practically the best thing you can do in if, if you're not going to go and, and uh, get a lawyer and, and you're not willing to kind of take on this fight yourself, is just become very very familiar with with the Howey test, uh, and and just try to apply it yourself to what you're building. I it, it, it's I think it's very unfortunate that that's like the way that you have to. To operate in the space but that that seems like the only option at the moment so try and get buttoned up with a lawyer uh but basically ask forgiveness rather than permission as far as technical technical advances i mean you know again not, none of this is 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 legal advice but, yeah not uh, france yeah. advice <laughs> but the best right but thank you I, that, that's kind of just how how we've thought about it in the space as, as builders over the years um is is you know there's just some degree of personal risk and, and just kind of try to become a little bit familiar with, with the laws yourself um, and if you're not going to go to a lawyer. Yeah, I think it's so that is a great question, but also just a really insightful answer too. as a lot of people in this room, I'm sure, think about building in the space and want to get involved more to just really uh, to, to remind people like there's like you said, there's there is that fine line of trying to create and be cautious of how you do it and the way you act. And at the end of the day, everyone has to answer for themselves. Uh, and like you said, there's never never legal or financial advice, but just to continue to explore. And the best thing you can do is educate yourself, like you said, trying to get familiar with the laws yourself to try and figure out what you're capable and what you're comfortable with um, kind of uh, the your risk tolerance for, for what you can do. And I'm sure as you continue in the space that may change or it evolves, but just con like the whole goal is always to constantly be educating yourself. Um, 
All right, Punk4156, we're past an hour. I really appreciate you spending a few minutes over. There was one last question um, that someone tweeted. This is from Punk4156 in the Twitter feed. Why do you think pineapple is the best pizza topping? (laughs) I knew this one would come back to haunt me because I didn't really have a good answer. I just thought it was something funny to say. Um, I I, I personally really enjoy the the sweetness on on, on a pizza, and uh, I, I like... I like combining the, the kind of savoriness of the pizza, especially with with something like uh, with with something like hot peppers uh, and, mm, and uh, yeah. like the like the vinegar soaked peppers with with pineapple. I think it's it's quite excellent. Uh, oh, I'm gonna have to try that. That's so a I, that's that's a something I've never had. I'm a huge fan. I grew up on uh, Hawaiian pizza with Canadian bacon, pineapple. I loved it. But that's that's a uh, the peppers with pineapple is interesting. I, I think I might have to try that out. Yeah, I recommend it. (laughs) All right. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking time again. If you don't already, I'm sure everyone already does, but if you don't follow Punk4156, you definitely should. If you missed any part of this show, you can also follow the Crazy About Crypto show, and I'll be posting um, when I record or I'll upload this as a podcast, and I'll send a tweet out here shortly if you missed any part of it. Definitely uh, amazing insights and conversation from a legend in the space. Um, Thank you so much again, 4156. Is there anything else that you you wanted to leave any final thoughts um maybe for someone that's just getting in the space uh any final thoughts for for the people in the audience um i mean not not really i i think i i think i said it all um i yeah we covered I, I a lot just, yeah i i think you know the, the the point that i made before which is we're, we're not afraid we're just going to build on and and you know explore the the, the technology and, and everything it can do, you know. I, I I do think the stakes are 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 quite high. I think, kind of talking again about technological accelerationism and and you know the, this idea that that things are starting to change more and more rapidly. Um, that we will in time need a, a a system that can that can kind of adapt governance um, uh, quickly enough to to keep pace with with that rate of change and, and that at, at some point in the future, it, it, it may become an, an existential question. You know, can, can we, can we adapt quickly enough? Uh, can we, uh, uh, create incentives to, to, to coordinate our behavior, uh, at, at a planetary scale. And there's probably no other technology, you know, short of Ethereum or, or maybe some of the Ethereum competitors in the world that's going to be capable of doing it. So we, we have to figure it out. We have to build on it and, uh, we, we have to use it. And it, it's just super important stuff. Yeah, what a great, what a great way to end the show. We're, we're not afraid. I mean, this is this is a, a disruptive technology, and to maximize its potential as as a human species, you can't be afraid to to utilize and harness it. This has been another production of Guttercat Studios. All conversations with Crazy Carl are for educational purposes only. You should never take financial advice from a cat or anybody really, especially financial advisors. Take control of your own financial future and do your own research always. That's all for now. Until next time, we'll see you in the metaverse.